Thanks for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We're in a sermon series called Baggage, Finding Freedom from the Weight We Carry. We're addressing some heavy things like depression, anxiety, trauma, addiction, and guilt in order to learn God's heart for those who hurt. Our prayer is that these sermons would help you and encourage you. Please feel free to reach out at hello at tablechurchdsm.org. Enjoy. Good morning, Table Church. Our scripture today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 3 through 5. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Once again, everyone, good morning and welcome to Table Church. If you are new here today, this is your first time checking us out, thank you. We're so grateful to have you and hopefully you'll stop by the Welcome Center out there by the coffee bar and we have a gift that we'd love to give you and we just want to get to know you a little bit, but I hope that you felt right at home. We're uh, in a series today uh, called Baggage. We're talking about the heavy things that many of us carry and how God can help us put them down. Actually, before we get into that, I want to reiterate what Megan said earlier about the Summer Bash event at Drake Park. Listen, you've heard me say this before. You'll hear me say it again. Um, when I first moved to Des Moines so that we could plant Table Church, I just remember how many people talked about how competitive and divided the church in Des Moines is. That's at least the perception that many people have. Well, hey, this is, we're going to poke a stick in the eye of that reputation. You know, we're going we're gonna, to, four churches, Hopi Limb, Table Church, Cottage Grove, New Life Center. We're getting together in order to bless our community, our neighborhood. Uh, so it's on Sat this coming Saturday, starting at 5 o'clock at Drake Park. And I hope you'll be there. I'll send an email out as well, just to remind you. Um, so even if, if, if you can make desserts, that'd be awesome. But if, if you just want to come, we'd sure love to have a great showing from Table Church. There's going to be like a combined worship team from all the churches leading us in worship and stuff like that. So uh, it'll be, I was in charge of uh, activities and games. So uh, I've got a pretty sweet human bingo card made up for everyone. There'll be sweet prizes as well. So I look forward to seeing you. Anyway, like I said, we're in week three of a series called Baggage. We all carry heavy things with us. And um, I just think sometimes we don't even know it. Sometimes we've got stuff in our hearts and things from our past, and we don't even realize how this stuff is um, affecting our behavior and our relationships, our outlook on the world. And and I think that might um, never be more true than with today's topic. Today we're going to talk about trauma. And this, man, trauma is just all around us, and the effects of it, science, scientists, scientists are helping us understand and unpack more and more kind of the deep-seated effects that this can have in our lives. In fact, in 1995, a medical doctor named Vincent Folletti sent out a simple 10-question yes-or-no survey. Each question asks if you've experienced a, a different potentially traumatic situation as a child, such as being abused or having no food or your parents getting divorced. 
And uh, people in mental health call these, these particular things, they call them adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs for short. To everyone's surprise, when he sent out this, this survey, 17,000 people completed the survey, which gave it just an enormous sample size. The results that they received have revolutionized our understanding of the effects of trauma in people's lives. They found that two-thirds of the respondents had experienced at least one of the ACEs. 25% of respondents, that's a quarter of them, said so they'd either had alcoholic parents or had been beaten as children. One in six respondents had four or more ACEs. We now know that the physical effects of that sort of experience is staggering, let alone the emotional and social stuff. Just the physical effects of it. With someone for, who has four or more ACEs, says that they're 250% more likely to have heart disease, stroke, or loss of vision. They're 12 times more likely to attempt suicide. And so what this tells me is as followers of Jesus, if you haven't experienced any of this stuff yourself, praise the Lord, but somebody close to you has. Somebody sitting near you today has. Peter Levine says that traumatic stress occurs when our ability to respond to threats is overwhelmed. That means that we all kind of have this threshold for dealing with scary, threatening situations. And when, uh, when that threshold is surpassed, we no longer really have the ability to respond, you know, carefully, cautiously, rationally. Maybe you've heard of the fight, flight, or freeze response. That's what kicks in at this point. That's traumatic stress. Look, I'm not the only person to say this. I've I've seen experts say this as well, but I think there's a case to be made that over the last couple years, we've experienced a collective trauma as a culture. I think it's safe to say that at times, there have been moments where kind of our even collective ability to respond to a threat throughout the pandemic and everything else that we've gone through has been overwhelmed. And you may notice, sometimes we've seen these fight, flight, or freeze responses kick in with people. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this. There's, there's some people that have kind of leveled up in their aggression throughout COVID. There's other people who, they've just kind of dropped off the map. Here's my point. We can't ignore this topic. I mean, if, if we're really about some of the stuff I just talked about in my prayer, if we're really about helping God heal the world, joining him in that mission. This is, this is a tidal wave in our culture that the church desperately must understand and recognize. We're all kind of flowing, floating in a, in a big trauma boat together right now. Look, the only way for us to find land is if we support each other and start rowing together. If we're going to love our community well, I think we need to start seeing our community through the lens of the trauma that so many people have experienced. Only then can we become, as a church, the secure environment that people need to know that they feel safe. The passage from Isaiah we just heard has traditionally been understood as kind of prefiguring Jesus. It was written centuries before Jesus was born, but the church has always seen that passage and thought, oh, this is a prefiguring of what Jesus would be like, of what he would go through. And it talks about Jesus as a man of sorrows and familiar with pain and stricken and wounded and these sorts of things. 
And so we're going to talk a little bit about maybe Jesus' experience with trauma and how maybe that can help Jesus relate to some of our situations. But before we get to that, I heard a pastor named Jeff Cannell. He pointed out something important, I think, and it took me a minute to come around to it, but I eventually did. He said, before we get to Jesus, we should start with his mother, Mary. It was, in Mary's day, it was commonplace for women to be abused at the hands of Roman soldiers. The Roman Empire would line the streets with crucified victims. Many of them would have been her fellow countrymen, some of whom she may have even known. And even though we know Mary was a courageous and faithful woman, listen, that doesn't change the fact that the penalty for getting pregnant before marriage is death. It's safe to say or assume that there were probably righteous people in her village that thought that she should die. And here's what science has shown us about people living in those sorts of stressful conditions. There's a chemical called cortisol. It acts as our body's stress hormone. And in the right levels, cortisol is important for your body to function well. But if you come under stress, sometimes that chemical can get too high. Sometimes it can stay in your bloodstream for too long. And if it does, it inhibits your brain function, your impulse control. And, and, and here's the crucial point. The effects of this are multi-generational. It can be passed on to the children, to the children's children. And here's what I wonder. Here's what he said. He said, was Jesus perhaps born with the effects of trauma? Again, it took me a minute to come around on that. I mean, Jesus is the perfect man, fully God. He was sinless. But here's what the Bible says. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so listen, we have a tendency to kind of emphasize the divinity of Jesus. I'm okay with that. But as long as we don't de-emphasize the humanity of Jesus, where he enters fully and not only into the physical characteristics of being a human, but in the emotional and the social ones as well. Jesus entered into all of those things. It's just he responded to them all in a perfectly godly way. Mary endured some hard things. We shouldn't be shocked then if Jesus was impacted by those things, even in the womb. The multi-generational nature of trauma has huge implications for the church. Huge implications for us, I think. Listen, um, a couple authors, Mark Charles and Sung Chang Ra, they wrote a book called Unsettling Truths, and they talk about a Lakota woman. Her name is Maria Yellowhorse Braveheart. She's a social worker in South Dakota, among her people, the Lakota. She coined a phrase called historical trauma response, or HTR. HTR refers to the phenomenon of generational trauma that's passed down, not from individual to individual, but by communities. You see, what, what we found is that when a community endures complex trauma, we now have piles of evidence that predicts the negative effects not only in the generation that experiences it firsthand, but that it gets passed down to subsequent generations as well. They write this. They say a 2003 study observed that the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors, quote, were overrepresented by 300% among the referrals to a child psychiatry clinic. The grandchildren of Holocaust survivors are still feeling the effects of what happened two generations prior. We don't necessarily understand all the mechanics of it yet, of how this happens, but it's increasingly clear this, that, this, that, that trauma does not just go away. 
It doesn't just disappear. You can't just wave it off. It doesn't go away just by saying, hey, just work harder, you know? Just try harder. That's not enough. And I want to push in a little deeper here for a second. Because I think that this information might help some of us, some of us white folks, make a little bit better sense of the outcry that we witnessed in the summer of 2020 after the death of George Floyd. Think about it for a second in terms of what we just learned about the generational, about HTR, generational effects of trauma. What, what we have here is we have the grandchildren and great-grandchildren of slaves being subjected to nine minutes of a white police officer kneeling on the neck of a black man until he died. And I can't help but think that in that moment, generations of trauma was probably triggered. Because even though this generation, today's generation of African Americans may not have experienced chattel slavery themselves, not only do we continually live in a racialized world, but the trauma of previous generations has literally been lit, written into the physiology of subsequent generations. That trauma has not gone away. We cannot just simply say to people, hey, suck it up, do better. It just doesn't make sense. Sometimes I've, I've heard and even been tempted to think this myself, to say, why do we got to racialize everything? It was just a bad man doing a bad thing. But listen, to say things like that is to miss the, that much of the hardship of black communities that they continue to face explicitly does have to do with race. It's not by their choosing. So listen, here's my point. What if Christians, be, what if we became wiser about recognizing and responding to the effects of trauma in our culture? How much more of a, oh, I don't know, safer space for people could we become? This is something that the, the world is just so desperately hungry and thirsting for. What if we let the knowledge that many of the people we meet, many of the people that come through our doors have experienced things that we can't even imagine? I think if we did that, we would grow in our compassion for people. So here's what amazes me from our text. It's this. Jesus can identify with our trauma. Our passage today calls him a man of suffering, familiar with pain. And I got to believe that Jesus' compassion for the hurting was fueled by the fact that he knew what it was like. Jesus talks about a woman who loses a coin and she digs through the dirt in order to find that coin. He talks about a Shepherd who loses a sheep, he leaves the 99 and he goes off into the wilderness to try to find the one that was lost. This is the heartbeat of God, he says. Jesus' love for the broken, the hurting, the forgotten, the lost, it's fueled by the fact that he understands, he knows it. He's himself a man of sorrow, familiar with pain. We tend to be pretty aware of the physical torment that Jesus suffered on the cross, Obviously. But the Bible says it wasn't just physical torment that he endured. He was stripped naked of his clothes. He was mocked. He was made fun of. He was spit upon. When Jesus was crucified, he didn't just endure physical torment for the sake and sins of the world. He endured emotional abuse, sexual abuse, like the whole gamut of things Jesus endured on the cross. And so we see Jesus entering fully into the human experience, down to the dregs of it. 
We all know that Jesus got tired, Jesus got hungry, Jesus got thirsty, Jesus endured physical pain, but we often forget like Jesus entered fully into the emotional, the social reality of what it can be like to be a human being. Even the bad parts. But the difference is for Jesus, you see, whereas these things can often create in us this, this fight, flight, freeze response that I talked about, we, we get a glimpse in Christ, we get a glimpse of the power that the Holy Spirit has to flip that in our lives, to flip it in our hearts, to heal us, and to see what just a magnificent display of grace can look like. What does Jesus say as he hangs on the cross? He looks down at his tormentors and he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus is seeing them through the eyes of the lens of trauma, understanding their sorrow and pain and ignorance and selfishness and all of the things that may have gone into that moment. He's seeing it all and he's saying, God, have compassion on them. Father, have mercy on them. They don't know what they're doing. Even in his moment of pain, he's still seeing people where they are. This is why the people who are the most traumatized, the most outcast, most marginalized, were also the most eager to be with Jesus. Because he was one of the few people who they knew this guy is safe. Since the church is made of followers of Jesus, that description should apply to us as well. We should be a place where people with baggage can come and know that they will be loved. And I'm afraid that the reputation isn't quite there, is it, with Christians today? And so I'd like to share three characteristics that I hope and pray that Table Church can, can take upon ourselves in order to really minister to hurting people. And I understand that there's plenty of people in the room who would qualify. So this is what I hope we can be, not only to those outside, but to those inside too. Number one, a community of compassion. When I talk about compassion, what I'm saying is, um, I wanna be a people who don't just simply see the things that people say and do. I wanna want be a community that tries to see what's behind it. Tries to see the hurt that may be behind the behavior. I think that's what compassion calls us towards. Not just to say, well, that guy did a thing I didn't like. But just to say, I wonder, I wonder if this is really about that. I wonder what kind of stuff they're going through that I, that I don't even know. I think compassion will lead us to this place. See, hot takes, quick judgments, all that stuff, it has no place in the church. And in fact, I just kind of see how deforming social media is for us because it encourages that kind of thing. Like snappy, you know, quick arguments where, you know, you don't really get into the nuances and, you know, anytime somebody tries to get vulnerable, you've got a million people out there trying to attack them. Like, it's just, it's the opposite of the way the church ought to be, you know? The way of Jesus is the way of careful, compassionate, humble, listening and I think a community of compassion is going to look to give people the benefit of the doubt. Number two, I want to be a community of security. I want to explain what I mean by security. I want to be a community of safety, but I didn't use the word safety because I can't promise. Anytime you, you, you enter into an interaction with another human, there's risk involved, right? Um, anytime that you, whether you're going through the grocery store line or you're sharing something vulnerable with somebody, you don't quite know what that other person is going to say or do. You don't always know how they're going to respond. And sometimes they're going to respond in ways that might not, might not feel good. I don't know. I can't promise that every single person at Table Church is always going to say and do the exact right thing. I cannot make that promise of myself because I am a sinful man. 
But what we can do, what we do have control over is to say, hey, you know what? Your voice matters here. That's what I mean by security. Like, you're valued. Your voice matters. If you have something you need to say, you can say it, and you will be listened to and heard. Security means that you have a voice. It means that when something does happen that shouldn't have happened, you know that your voice will be heard. You know, I noticed Jesus never promised his disciples safety. It says, in this world, you'll have trouble. He can't make promises about the exact nature of the future. In fact, he seems to suggest that you should expect to run into trouble sometimes. But that doesn't mean you're not secure. He says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so that's the kind of trust that we want to have, that we want to develop and cultivate here. I want to be a place where people understand, look, okay, what just happened didn't make me feel good. I didn't really like it. Maybe I didn't agree with it. And of course, there's all sorts of things. We trip over interpretations sometimes and intentions and all that stuff. But I hope that we can develop a community where we know that in the, at the bedrock of things, at the bottom level, I'm cared for. That person loves me. May not like what they said, may not like what they did, but I know that, that their heart for me is bigger than all that stuff. That's what I mean by security. And then finally, a community of respect. Respect means that we take seriously the experience of others. We don't try to one-up. We don't try to say, hey, our, th- our stuff is worse or whatever, you know. I'm convinced that churches are way behind the curve at understanding how to minister to the unique needs that are often associated with trauma. Part of it may be our American culture. We often believe in just kind of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, you know, suck it up, deal with it. But if that's the message that we send to people, not only will we not help them, but we may actually do more damage. You can't just say, hey, just deal with it. Our example should be Jesus. Not only does Jesus know what trauma felt like, but he gives the perfect example of how to love people in it. The last line of our text today is a powerful one. It says this, as by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds we are healed. What this means is that somehow Jesus' pain can heal our pain. Jesus' wounds can heal our wounds. And the first step toward healing is that, when we, is, is that we must learn to trust again. Another reason why I think sometimes churches have a hard time with this is not just kind of the rugged American individualism mindset, you know, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but also we often kind of think, well, you just need the gospel, you know? That'll fix you. The problem is that when we say that, a lot of times what we have in mind is a rather narrow understanding of the gospel. And the gospel at least entails the fact that God is coming to redeem and save and reconcile the entire world to himself, and he's inviting us into that mission. And that includes helping people heal emotionally and spiritually. And so, yes, the gospel is what we need 100%. Just we need the gospel properly defined and understood in terms of all that God is trying to do in the world. It says, by his wounds we are healed. Somehow through Jesus' pain, we can be healed as well. And the first step toward this healing, the Bible tells us, is faith. This word faith. We're going to talk about this in a couple weeks. Faith, um, I don't want you to think, when, when I say faith, it's not just thinking really hard about Jesus. Faith is not just trying to believe really hard that Jesus is God. That's part of it. But what does faith really mean, that word? It's trust. It's trust. It means that you're going to put your trust in Jesus. And so I'm not asking anybody here. I'm not asking you to trust me right now. I'm not asking you to trust Table Church right now. I'm just saying, 
Can we trust Jesus? That Jesus really does want to take and bring in and heal and infuse his grace and his light and his healing into those, those difficult things in our past and help us to start to see how God can take that and flip it. You know what he can do? He can use those difficult things in order to help you see and hear and love people who have been through the same thing. You have a tool in your tool belt that you wouldn't have otherwise because of those difficult things in your experience, in your past. And God can use that and make you somebody who can bring more healing and hope and wholeness to the people around you because you have that. I'm not saying it excuses it. I'm not saying it ignores it. I'm just saying that God can take what is bad and use it for good. It's one of the amazing things about our Savior. And so... If you're willing to trust Jesus, maybe you haven't, maybe you've struggled with it, maybe you've, you know, maybe you've got church issues and stuff like that, understandable, I get it. I'm glad you're here, by the way. But would you just take a moment and set that stuff aside? Would you be willing to trust Jesus? You've heard me talk a little bit about him today. You've heard a little bit about what he's like. I can promise you that he loves you. If you've got some things, I'm sorry if this sermon drug up some hard stuff, um, but maybe this is an opportunity for you to lay your bags down, to say, God, take this. Last week we talked about the peace that surpasses all understanding. When we cast our anxieties upon him, Philippians 4, cast our anxieties upon him, upon Christ, the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Maybe this is your chance to do that. And so we've got some folks, uh, prayer team and red lanyards, they're sitting back here. I'll tell you what, I'm going to invite you guys down front and maybe I'll join you. Um, we're just going to sing a, a last song. And if you'd like to come and just say, look, I just want somebody to help me put these bags down. Would you pray with me? We'd love to do that. And so we'll be down front here. And um, as the worship team sings, feel free to come if you feel led to. But if you've never put your trust in Christ and you want to now, um, there's a little cross on your connection card you can circle. That's really important because when you circle that, I'll, I'll get a hold of you and I'll just start to say, hey, how can we form a relationship and help you walk with Christ? Um, help you understand what that means to trust Jesus. All right, so we're gonna sing and, and pray. You're welcome to come. Let me, let me pray right now for us. Almighty God, I ask uh, that, that um, oh, I said a lot of things. I hope that your heart comes through, God. I hope that your love comes through um, that's just so aching for people who are hurting, for people who um, maybe associate that hurt with you when really the opposite's true, God, that you hurt along with them. And so, Lord, would you somehow in your supernatural uh, power just help us to experience and taste that right now? Yeah, would you do that, God? We love you in your name.